Need to create a complex enterprise Angular application? Angular Bootcamp is an intensive three-day workshop class to learn the basics of Angular through sophisticated techniques for real-world applications. We target Angular 6 and the recent versions with much of the curriculum is suitable back to Angular 2. Or go beyond the three-day class with a consultation or project launch with Oasis Digital, the team behind Angular Bootcamp. We can assist your team or launch your project with advanced Angular topics including scalability, data flow, state management, full stack product design, and more. Contact us for a private class at your location or buy a ticket for public classes in various cities around the U.S. and occasionally in Europe. Online live instructor training is also available at angularbootcamp.com. Hey, everybody, and welcome to another episode of Adventures in Angular. This week on our panel, we have Joe Eames. Hey, everybody. Alyssa Nichol. She's muted. I'm Charles Maxwood from devchat.tv, and this week we're talking to Tor Helgevold. Hello. And we're talking to you about Basil. But before we do that, why don't you give us an introduction since we haven't had you on for a little while? Yeah, so yeah, my name is Tor. I work for Narwhal, and, on this, and as part of that, I do some... Uh, experimentation with Basil and I've taken an interest in it. And I think it's really cool. I, it's, you know, it's an internal build system at Google that's been open sourced and I think it's really exciting. And uh, I have, I think it's will be kind of the next, next new thing when it comes to build systems in the Angular community. It's my prediction. Okay. So we all know that Basil's delicious, but <laughs> why in the world is it going to become the next new thing? And also, I, I think that it's going to be pretty common that people just aren't even going to know, uh, other than maybe having heard about the fact that there is a thing called Basil. Like, we need to ask that question too. But So maybe the two are interrelated, but can you ask, answer both questions? What the heck is Basil, really? And why in the world is it going to become awesome? That's cool. Yeah, so Basil is like an incremental build system. And what that means is that whenever you make it a change to your source code, Basil will only rebuild the part, the part of your source code that relates to the change that you just made, which, you know, in a large uh, application can have a huge impact on build performance. And um, that's the other part. I should probably mention that. I don't think it's necessarily the next new thing for small projects. It's mainly for large projects where you have a huge code base where you already kind of have some performance problems when you build uh, and so, and the other side of it, in in a um, in an Angular application, you can define your build units as small as ng modules. So let's say you have a very large Angular application, and you make a, ch a single change to an ng module, Basil will only rebuild that ng module, which you know is much faster than rebuilding the whole thing. But that part is. Perhaps not the most exciting thing, in my opinion. The, the most exciting thing to me is that Basil is not necessarily tied to a specific language. It's, it's basically agnostic of, of the language that you develop in. So, and that opens up the door. So you could potentially um, build your entire stack in Basil, right? Whereas you compare it to Webpack, um, you build a JavaScript application, right? Whereas Basil can build your entire build stack from your front end to your back end. And that opens up the door to some interesting things like sharing, like type sharing between your front end and your back end. So let's say you have your um, back end written in Java and you have your front end uh, written in Angular uh, and TypeScript. Normally, it's difficult to synchronize your types across Java and TypeScript, right? Because they're not the same language. 
So what could happen is like you have one team working on um, Java, right? The, the backend API, another team doing the front end. And if they're not coordinated, API might might change. And if you don't update your uh, front end accordingly, you'll have a, a, a runtime error, right? But if you configure your basal build correctly, you could basically share types between front end and back end. So you can catch those inconsistency at build time, which I think is pretty cool. Get a hmm. lot of the same benefits that you, that most of the time when people use TypeScripts in Angular, right? It's mainly for the type safety, right? Because if you make a change and that's not compatible with somewhere else in your application, the compiler would tell you that. Basil can do the same thing across language boundaries, which I think is really cool. So is it, can, it, can it not do that with like Webpack? Well, Webpack can only build like JavaScript projects, right? So if you have your, your front end in Java, Webpack can't build that. Right? So are you saying that if I have a, like a GitHub check-in uh, process that then kicks off my TFS server, which then kicks off four different Jake files, and one of those causes my grunt task, which launches my Webpack to go and build, that that's not <laughs> like a super efficient way to... I just to like, don't even things. know what happened. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not sure if I was starting to cry or laugh there, Joe. <laughs> but, yeah. Right. Yeah, no, I mean... There are many ways, right, to uh, probably approximate this. But uh, the way I look at Basil, it's a very, like, streamlined way of achieving this. With, like, a tested, like, because it's a tried and proven uh, technology at Google, which is also a good indication that this actually can, uh, can scale. And that, that's so one have, of the you ever, have you ever set up a project with one, or have you just jumped on large projects that were already set up with Basil? Yeah, so... I, Outside of Google, I'm not aware of too many projects that use it today because it's not completely polished yet. It's still kind of being developed, and, and there are a few like hiccups. So I, I, I'm not aware of large projects outside of Google today. Mm, that use it. So th that's, of course, that's the caveat, right? It, it's not, I, I don't recommend doing it today, but it's, it's, it's close. And you can do it today if you know what you're doing, but my hesitation there is because, is that it's not as polished as what you might have today. So people will start to complain and say, hey, this is not as great as you told me it was. So it's kind of interesting because, you know, there's this movement going on right now towards zero configuration, right? Um, Webpack doesn't, uh, is starting to support zero configuration. There's a bunch of tools that have come out and, actually get to Can exist. Can you define what you mean by zero configuration? So I install the tool and I just tell it to go. <coughs> and I don't and have it to... Works. Yeah, it just, it works. It figures out how my project is running already or my project has to, you know, exist within certain parameters. And then the tool can still build, you know, build the project. It, obviously, zero configuration could apply to anything, to lots more things than just a build tool. But as an example, we're talking about build tools right now. So... The zero configuration build and build is off obviously where a lot of the extra complexities come in that you deal with only once and then you leave them alone. So it's also the place where people, a lot of developers get most frustrated because since you're not working with it on a day by day basis, the ROI on the time that you spend is very low, right? I just want it to work. I don't yeah. want to spend four days setting this up before I get to actually write a line of code. So 
build exists. So there's this big push towards zero configuration. But the problem with zero configuration as a whole is that it only works for the simple, simpler situations, which is great for I'm building lots of small projects or I'm starting up lots of new projects. And it might be fine for one little tiny piece of a project, of a bigger project. But generally, as you get big projects, and this is sort of a, as well, I think, as sort of a skeptical comment about Basil and the touted opportunity of, hey, we're going to have one build system, which is, in my experience, generally when the rubber meets the road in anything of, I would call it even moderate complexity. Of course, I have a lot of experience in the really complex side of things, you know, projects with hundreds of thousands and millions of lines of code and dozens of developers over years and years and years. And I've heard many times people talking about, oh, this tool is going to make everything simple. But when it comes down to like the rubber meets the road, it really you find out that, oh, I actually have to do a fair amount of work over here. And just this one build tool that wants to do everything just doesn't quite cut in it. And actually, you know that situation I described where I've got TFS kicking off three different Jake tasks or something like that? It actually turned out that that was the most effective way to do it because even though I could have gotten TFS to do everything, Jake was better or you know Webpack was better for that specific task. So there's something to be said for, I want to use a deficient tool for this subtask, but then now I'm configuring in five different tools, which really also sucks. And then if anybody else needs to come in and touch my <laughs> configuration, they're going to curse my name because, oh my gosh, I can't believe that this person did it this you know, way. Why did they do it? There's so many different ways. And you know, just the reality is life is pretty complex when it comes to development. So not that... As we see new tools come out and they're better, I think that that's actually what we want because we are converting, converging on something. But the one thing that to me sounds makes Basil sound uh, like it could potentially deliver on some of its promises is just the fact that Google is well known to have a lot of very large, very complex projects. And so utilizing it there proves one of two points. Either it actually does have a lot of value or two, the Google engineers are uh, masochists. <laughs> yeah, and, and, and also, I think to the po- that point is that if, if your build system today isn't broken, it's you're happy with it. I don't, I, I don't think you should change it. I keep it if it works for you, right? Like I, I think like there's no point in changing it for the sake of changing it. Uh, but I do think there are some advantages in large systems, like especially the whole thing about... Uh, Build speed, other things like, for instance, the, the whole infrastructure is kind of built to scale in the sense that, like, when you're building your, uh, if you're using Angular CLI, that's usually what most people are doing today. And I think most people are very happy about that. Like, I think, or Webpack or, or something else. Um, but once the project is large, it does take a while to build it. And Basil has some interesting features that you can uh, pile on to scale it better. Like, you can farm out and, and use. Uh, builders on remote machines, you can use a remote build cache, like very advanced use cases that may not necessarily apply to most projects, but it's 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 there if you want to use it. Like if you have a large enough project that takes 15 minutes to build on your own box, then you can leverage some of those features. And for instance, one thing that you can have is like one setup that I'm currently investigating is that let's say you most people have uh, continuous integration, right? So that means that something picks up the build on every commit, right? And builds it. Like you have a build server that builds everything. So what you could potentially have, you could have a uh, have your CI server create a build cache that every uh, developer can just 
pull from when they're doing their local builds. Instead of everyone building individually on your uh, local boxes, you could have the build server, which builds it anyway, do all that uh, heavy lifting, and you basically just pull from the build cache. Because that's kind of how uh, Basil is set up, right? It, instead of having a local cache, you can have a remote cache and then speed up your, uh, your builds uh, significantly, potentially, even on the initial build, right? Because... But does that mean that you have to be connected in order to like be working on a project? Yeah, I mean that in that scenario, it, you'd have to be connected to some remote machine. But the thing is, like, it would still work if you were disconnected. You would just build locally. It's just it'd be an option that would be available to you if you are connected. Okay. Which, for the most part, I I think you would be connected. But you're right. Like, if you're not connected, that model doesn't work. So, but, uh, I, I think I think we're kind of talking around a lot of the uh, advantages and. Here's some of the cool stuff you can do with it. But I guess what I'm curious about is, let's say I want to play with this thing, right? And really see what it does. How do I set it up? Yeah, that's a good question. I think the, the place I would send everyone is the uh, kind of the canonical uh, basal example that Alex Eagle has uh, set up, which is a very simple application. It's like a Hello World app. Um, and it shows you kind of how to do the basic stuff. It doesn't have a full stack implementation, but at least it has, we can share the link afterwards, uh, but it, it has like the, the concept there. So that if you're curious and want to start building something simple without like starting with a large project, which, you know, it would take a long time to, to kind of convert a large project to use Basil. But if you want to just get started, I recommend that um, uh, sample repo that Alex Eagle from Google has set up. Plus contributors. Yeah. The, the other question that I have is, how does it actually work? I mean, we're talking about different features of it, but um, what does it actually do? So essentially, it, it's a build system. So it, it, it will do whatever you tell it to do, right? Like the common needs when you're building a web application is you, you know, convert your SAS or your mm -hmm. less to C CSS, like bundle your JavaScript, transpile your TypeScript. It's, it's an open-ended system in the sense that you configure these basal rules to do whatever you want them to do. And typically they, they a lot of times they'll, you know, they'll, they'll wrap other technologies and have them do the work behind the scenes. So, so basal kind of facilitates this by letting you define all these rules that basically uh, could potentially be chained together. Like the output of one rule becomes the input to the next rule. And, and so the basal rules are somewhat similar to Webpack plugins. If that makes sense. Like mm -hmm. that's the, the way that you basically define like the unit of work, which builds you the, at the end of the day, you build the application, but then there's multiple rules involved in getting you there. Does that make sense? Yeah, it does make sense. So with these different rules, then do you, I guess, pull those in via NPM packages or are they all in some way included in Bazel? Yeah. There, how, how does Basil, that all help? Yeah, Basil has its own kind of uh, uh, dependency management system there where you can pull in, like you define, like pulling in external rules from other repos. It has a uh, basically a, uh, a workspace file where you can define uh, external dependency. You can think of that as like a, a package JSON of sorts, except that mm -hmm. it's like a Basil equivalent uh, of that. And so let's say if you want to use a, uh, a rule that bundles uh, your application using rollup you specify the at, like the you use like a 
there's, for instance, like something called an HTTP archive that can pull in, uh, like basal rule that pulls in external dependencies. And then they basically become available then in your in your basal rules so that you can import them and use them. And uh, so, yeah, the workspace file, you'll see it in, in every basal project is where you basically define your external basal world dependencies. Cool. I guess, I guess the other question that I have then is, let's say that somebody does have a compelling reason to move from the Webpack setup you get from the CLI over to Bazel. They're looking at it and they're saying maybe they get some maintainability benefits and they're already spending a bunch of time messing with Webpack or something like that. And they say, you know what? Bazel, for whatever reason, looks like it solves our problem better. How do you start making that transition? Uh, yeah. Well, I think the first step is first uh, deciding, will this help my project? Mm-hmm. Like it, That's the first question I would ask. Because like to the previous point, I don't think you should do it for the sake of doing it. But if right. you see, if you have problems that you think Basil can solve, that would, I think, be the first step. Um, after that, uh, it's depending on the project, it, 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 it can be like, what I'm hoping is that tooling like Angular CLI will eventually adopt Basil mm-hmm. under the hood, at least as an option. So I'm hoping that some, some of this will be, it will happen behind the scenes and not be so arduous for people to actually do a manual conversion because that, that could be a fair amount of work, Right. Similar to like moving from one from build system A to build system B is always a lot of work. Right, this isn't mm-hmm. going to be an exception there. So, so I think like that's the other part. Like I'm hoping that the tooling will start to uh, help us there. That makes sense. This episode is sponsored by DigitalOcean. DigitalOcean is the hosting provider I use for DevChat.tv. I also use it for my applications that manage the RSS feeds, scheduling, and sponsorships involved in delivering these shows. DigitalOcean is easy to use, has data centers all over the world, and provides terrific services including server hosting and object storage for delivering your web applications and assets quickly and easily. I use DigitalOcean because I love their interface. I get SSD storage for my servers, and their support replies quickly. So go check them out at DigitalOcean.com. It sounded like that was the direction they wanted to go anyway, was eventually you'd upgrade the CLI and it would just shift everything over to Bazel and you wouldn't even know it because you're still just running ng build. Yeah. Yeah. So ideally, I, I, yeah, that's probably, that's kind of why they left that abstraction, right? They kind of don't expose much of Webpack unless you explicitly say, I want to eject my Webpack configuration mm-hmm. and you, and then you're handed everything. Right. Whereas at least they have that option. I, I'm not sure exactly what they will do or, or when they will do something about that. But I think that's, that's at least a possibility. And, and at Narwhal, we, we've created something called NX, uh, which is kind of a, a set of extensions on top of, on top of the CLI. And we've added some rudimentary basal uh, support there. So if you're interested in playing with that, you can, uh, can play with that. It, it's not uh, fully featured, but it's at least enough to get you started. And what we do is we use... Um, Angular CLI schematics to generate some of the like the scaffolding and some of these like dependencies that you would otherwise have to manually create, like the workspace file that I talked about, and and these so and these build.basal files, which is where you define or set up configure your your basal rules, or you call your rules to trigger builds of, of whatever you're trying to build, like your TypeScript code or your SAS code or or whatever you're actually using in your in your project. Gotcha. But it, there, sorry, go ahead. 
I was just going to ask, is there documentation then for Bazel? Yeah, there's actually uh, there's a uh, website uh, documenting most of Bazel, not from an Angular perspective, but from a general perspective, like where they have a lot of samples showing how to use, use it with Java, use it with other... There's some uh, early support for some C-sharp stuff in there. Like, there are a lot of supported languages because, like I said earlier, uh, Bazel is not necessarily a um, JavaScript toolchain. It's a... Mm-hmm somewhat language agnostic toolchain. Like not everything under the sun is supported, but it could be, right? It doesn't really say that. It's not really tied to a specific language. It's just up to people to create basal rules for that language, right? If you create a new language, potentially create basal rules that will help you compile that language or whatever you need to do in that language. So you were saying that it's not quite there yet. Are there certain things that like need to be finished up or uh, polished before, like that people need to watch out for before they start using it, or you just think it's just not there. So I think like you can do most things, but it, it's it's a it's not an easy road to do everything. I think the biggest pieces that I think are missing is last time I checked, I think the Windows support isn't perfect, which isn't great for people on Windows. Uh, the other part is lazy loading. Like if you're if you're setting up an Angular application or used a router to lazy load, it's possible to do it, but it's not as trivial. Like it's not you have to kind of understand what's going on. And and mm-hmm. if you compare that experience to what you would do in the CLI, it's a night and day type of thing. Right? CLI, you know, everything just works because it's a very mature product now. And but you're doing it in Basel, it's a little bit like a little bit more on your own because there's not a lot of documentation because there's not that many projects using it and, and things are still in flux a little bit. Is this something that we can see the CLI using one day or not really? That like it would ever happen. I, I think it's possible. Um I, I'm not really sure if they made a decision uh on what to do there. Um but it like we discussed earlier, they kind of have the abstraction there to do it if they want to. At least they could launch launch mm-hmm. it in parallel to the existing Webpack uh, setup, right? So you can choose which one. So uh, I'm not 100% sure what they will do, but uh, it is definitely possible given you know, enough time. So kind of circling back around, do you think people really should be starting to try out and use Bazel right now? I think at least... Uh, to do, like, do you mean for production systems or just like yeah? Uh, is it is it something to like right now? Keep your eye on, maybe play around with and such, but maybe not be think, not be bringing this to your project manager saying, "Hey, I got We need to devote a next our next sprint to converting to Basil." Yeah, I think it's the kind of similar to how you you know Angular brand stuff with the labs label, right? It, it's still it's still in that phase, so it's it's more like play with it, learn about it, because you know. It helps to to get some um, early experience with it, but yeah, I, I don't think I I, I wouldn't uh, recommend using it in production right now, unless you have a small team with, with people who are actually willing to pay the price and learn as they go. But for like a mainstream dev team, I I, I don't think the time is right right now, but I don't think we're that far away from. Um, but I, like I said, I definitely recommend checking out the the sample repo because it's it's a relatively small app. So if you want to go in and dissect what a basal project looks like, I think that's a good place to start. Because it does 
even though it's a small app, it does a fair amount of stuff. Like it does a production build, it does some SaaS compilation, and it does an Angular build, right? So it, it does a lot of the things that you would need in a, in, a, in a real application, right? Like a lot of times, large projects isn't just many more unique cases. It's just more of the same cases repeated, right? So once you cover most of the use cases, you don't need a huge project to kind of ramp up on it. Gotcha. Yeah, I think that that's where I recommend starting. Have you guys given it a shot or? Not me, just watching conference talks and stuff about it and keeping my eye on it personally. Yeah. I think Alyssa's yeah, actually same. done like uh, implementing 10 or 15 production projects. <laughs> no, you goofball, but thanks for that credit. You're so hey, silly. Watch the language, jeez. <laughs> No, she just re-implemented the entire Bazel stack in Go. <laughs> That's oh, <true>. nice. <laughs> because she, that was definitely something everyone should take their hand at. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but uh, speaking of Go, the, the dev server that we use in the Bazel uh, sample project is actually written in Go. So that just shows that you can combine Go and, and Angular. Yep. Yeah, I, I really like the idea of having some kind of build system that will cross those boundaries. I mean, you know, most of my backend stuff's done in Ruby, which means that it doesn't really technically need a build. But it would still be nice if it could static, statically analyze my Ruby and make sure that it's speaking sort of the same language or same general yeah. structure, even though it doesn't have strong types, um, yeah. as my TypeScript on the front end. Yeah, no, I think that's a big benefit. Like, cause that's just an extension of that benefit that you get from TypeScript in the Angular app itself, right? But now you're just pushing the boundary of of, of that. And uh, we did a a, a workshop um, at NGCon where we show how to set up an Angular app and a a, a Java backend to get that um, that uh, benefit to share the typings between them. And the way that it works at a high level is that you define a, a schema using something called uh, protocol buffers. And then there are basal rules that can take that schema. Def- that's a standard like for de- defining a schema, like your, the shape of your objects, the signature of your service methods. Uh, and you define that uh, using that synth- specific proto- bu- uh, prototype buffer syntax. And then there are basal rules that can then co-generate types that correspond to the target language. So like Java, or, or TypeScript. Like it, it will generate those types uh, for you, which means that you don't have to manually keep them in sync because that would, you know, if, if not this, if you have two different teams working on them on a different release schedule, chances are that unless they're well coordinated, you'll at, at some point see some mismatch between the, the front end and the back end. Like at least I've seen that many times myself in, in that back in the front end teams don't communicate well enough and, and you catch it at runtime if you happen to go to or well hopefully you'll have e2e test or something that will catch it for you but it'd be nice if you can catch that just at build time compile time because it's very obvious what the problem is right sometimes someone renamed the property or removed the property and the ui wasn't aware of that so i, I think that's a that's probably the coolest thing about it if you ask me because some of the uh compilation speed Features are are great too, but that may not you may not even have that problem in your project, right? Like that that's not. But if your project is already fast, like you, you're happy with the performance of Angular CLI, which I think a lot of people are, uh, that's not 
then then that's not a reason to move to baseload, right? Because you don't really have it's not solving a problem that you have. Nice. I don't know if I have anything else I'm really looking at digging into with this. I mean, it sounds like people can go check out uh, Alex's repo and get a good feel for what we're looking at here. And yeah, I think that's that's probably the best place to start and get like a little bit a light introduction to it. And it's you know he has fairly good uh, readme instructions for how to uh, start it up, and it's it's it works well to it works really well. Cool. Anything else either of you want to talk about, Joe, Alyssa? I think you answered all the questions I had. I'm just surprised that Alex is like, because he's on the Angular team, right? So like, he's not on the Basil team. Why does he know so much about Basil? <laughs> it's amazing. <laughs> well, my understanding is, is that Basil is based on the system that they used or that they used to build everything at Google. Yeah, it's based on something called Blaze, which is the internal implementation. And Basil is like the open source version of it. Yep. So he's been spearheading the open sourcing of that with specifically with building Angular stuff. And that way they can use the same tools internally that we use externally, more or less. Yeah. Yeah, Alex is the is the main expert. Yep. All right, well, let's go ahead and do some picks. Do you run your own freelance business? Or maybe you're thinking about picking up some business on the side. Well, then you need FreshBooks. FreshBooks is the quickest and easiest way to get invoices out to your clients. It's easy to use. It works anywhere, available from any device, uh, on the desktop, iPhone, iPad, Android, and all of your data is backed up and secure. And it makes it really easy to get organized and get paid. You'll be tracking time, logging expenses, and invoicing your clients in no time. You can also save time billing, freeing up several days per month to focus on the work that you love, and you get paid faster. FreshBooks customers are paid on average five days faster because there's a link on the invoice that says pay me now, and it's a great way to grow your business. Plus, FreshBooks is offering a 30-day trial. That's right, 30-day trial if you try them out. So go to gofreshbooks.com slash devchat and enter DevChat in the How Did You Hear About Us section. Once again, for a 30-day trial, go to gofreshbooks.com slash devchat and enter DevChat in the How Did You Hear About Us section. Joe, do you have some picks for us? I do. Uh, I'm going to pick uh, some stuff you may or may not have heard on a different podcast, but I was thought it was so cool. I think it's worth picking. So I've been uh, doing a little bit of just recent reading recently about AI and machine learning and stuff. And a couple of things that I stumbled upon were pretty interesting. The By far the most crazy of which was Google Duplex, which was showcased at Google I.O. and was probably the most talked about thing that they talked about uh, or that they showed. And so if you haven't uh, looked up Google Duplex and seen their demo, it's amazing. It's It's this AI thing that makes phone calls and they've got this demo of basically this computer calling up an actual like there's two demos one where it calls up a hairdresser and makes an appointment for you and one where it calls up a restaurant and makes a a reservation and uh you know you on your phone you hit your google assistant and say make me a you know a hair appointment for 10 a.m with this studio or this place and it calls them up 
and actually talks to them on the person on the other end has no idea that they're talking to a computer. Like, I saw that at the uh, IO keynote. Yeah, it was. Yeah. It's just mind boggling. And then the, the one where they do the reservation, it actually doesn't go well because the person doesn't want to make the reservation on the other end. And the they never, even though it doesn't go through like a, what they expected you would expect to happen when you call up for a reservation. The assistant still understands exactly what's going on and handles it all 100%. Yeah, the AI was really cool because it navigated its way through like a really difficult conversation. Honestly, I think I would have given up on the conversation. So it was amazing. (laughs) Yeah, for sure. So super cool. If you get a chance, go check that out. Google Duplex. And the other one is a blog post that I read, which I think is totally worth um, checking out. Um, it's called Why AI Will Bring an Explosion of New Jobs. And I think that at least for most people that are programmers and listening to this podcast, we probably sit on the side where uh, disruption in the form of automation is generally not a scary thing to us. But a lot of the world uh, definitely lives in a place where I might get automated out of my job. And there's some fear going on in there. And this article explains why these sorts of changes are actually going to create more jobs and they're going to destroy and it's very interesting uh, to talk, to read through and uh, see this perspective on this and the historical uh, comparison of why this sort of thing has happened many, many, many times and it's always been better for us. So great little blog article about, about that whole concept. And finally, I've been listening to a new podcast specifically about the music of Star Wars. And uh, it's actually like a three-part series in a bigger podcast where this podcast is called Full of Sith, S-I-T-H. And this three-part series is called How the Force Works, which is just about the music of the movie, The Last Jedi, which I didn't particularly love the movie, but the music is all very well regarded. And so it's three big, long podcasts where they talk about just the music of Star Wars in general, but then the music of that movie in specific. So if you like Star Wars and you like music, absolutely something you should check out. Awesome. Alyssa, do you have some picks for us? I don't. I don't. I'm currently at um, Best of Web. I'm going to speak on Friday in Paris. And uh, so it's like 10, 11 p.m. here, 10.45. So, uh, yeah, sorry for the weirdness if there's any weird audio coming through. But I don't have any cool picks. Just excited to be at Best of Web. So, yeah. Awesome. I'm going to do some picks here really quickly. I don't know if I picked this last week. I'm pretty sure I didn't. So I'm going to throw it out there. Um, I've been listening to a book about uh, raising kids. It's called the, the Whole Brain Child. And it talks about just how to interact with your kids to get them to integrate their left brain and their right brain and their sort of uh, higher function uh, mental capacity and their, their lower level, you know, kind of instinctual stuff. Um, and anyway, it, it was, it's been really interesting. What's funny to me is that I've been listening to the books and then realized that a lot of the stuff is stuff that I could apply to myself. So <laughs> that's awesome. <laughs> maybe I'm just a four-year-old in a 37 or 38-year-old body, but uh, anyway, um, agreed. Really interesting. Yeah, Joe knows me well enough to to back me on that. Um, <laughs> I had another pick. I can't think of what it is at the moment. So I, I guess I'll just leave it at that. But uh, um, yeah, uh, we'll go ahead and let Tor give us some picks. Okay, uh, I'll have to quickly. So um, I've 
since we're talking about basal, um, my coworker Dan uh, uh, from Narwhal wrote a, a great article about how you can actually set up this like relationship between your front end and your back end. Uh, um, and I think that that's a, a very good read if you want to dig deeper in how this works. He has a demo example in here. And, and uh, I think this is a great article that might be good for someone who's interested in learning more about the um, relationship within, between different uh, languages built with uh, Basil. So I'll share the link with, for that. Uh, yeah, I think that's the only one I have today. All right. Um, Tor, if people want to find you online, uh, where do they go? I'm assuming Twitter, GitHub, maybe a blog. Yeah. My uh, my Twitter is at Helgable. And uh, my GitHub is thelgable. I can send you those afterwards. All right. Well, we'll go ahead and wrap this one up then. Uh, thank you all for coming. And we will be back again next week. Peace out. Thank you. Thank you. Bandwidth for this segment is provided by Cashfly, the world's fastest CDN. Deliver your content fast with Cashfly. Visit C-A-C-H-E-F-L-Y.com to learn more.